Warrior Woman. Welcome to episode 101. So this year I'm trying a new thing and this new thing was inspired by John Marsh, who is my business coach. Uh, We were on a call a couple of months ago and that call was uh, about uh, creating our calendar for the year. So John sent us out this big, uh, he calls it a business success blueprint. And it's got every day of the year on this calendar. And we did this session where a planning session, basically we were doing our blueprint of the year and we had certain sections that we would color in for this blueprint. And so one of them was rest and holidays. And we were plugging this into the calendar. So mine's in pink and we were picking all the days that we were going to rest on and have holidays. And that was like the first section that we worked on because often as a small business owner, we don't rest or have a lot of holidays because we have a big baby, a big business baby to look after. And for those of you who are uh, parents, or guardians to small little humans, you know that rest, uh, you know, it can be a little hard to get. Um, And so what we did was choose rest and holidays first, and we started to color that in. Anyway, he said this really cool thing about how he takes the last three days off of every month to get ready for the new month ahead. And I really love that idea. because I mostly only take Sundays off. So I work six days a week. uh, And if I'm on a sprint, you know, I am building or creating something uh, inside warrior school, or I have a lot of work on or a project, often I'll do really big days, you know, 10 hour days. And so Sundays are my rest days. But when he spoke about taking uh, those last three days off, each month, I thought, oh, that's such a cool idea. So this is the new thing that I'm trying this year. So I went into my calendar online uh, and I blocked off the last three days of every month. And so I could rest and recharge uh, ready for the new month ahead. And this was to really support my nervous system. So I'm, uh, I've done one So last month, I took the last three days off and my nervous system really enjoyed those three days of rest. So speaking of nervous systems brings us to today's podcast episode and my podcast guest. My podcast guest is Sarah Sprowley and Sarah is, oh, well, she brought me to tears in this podcast episode. Um... It, you know, it was an honor. And even even just reflecting back on it now, I have like tears in my eyes, connecting with her, the work that she does, our conversation that we have today. It was just, I just, pure honor and privilege to talk to Sarah. Sarah, she's magic. Uh, She is an occupational therapist (laughs) with a master's in sexuality studies. Uh, She's also the host of the fabulous podcast, Sitting in a Car. 
and she it started because she was waiting for one of her children to finish an extracurricular activity and you know parents were sending her questions in and so she sits in her car where she answers these questions and her work really focuses on helping parents stay connected with their kids while having conversations about puberty and bodies and sex so she really helps parents nurture connection with their kids when they talk about sensitive things uh, and you know i i love talking about hard topics and sensitive things and so but talking about sensitive things can be hard. And this is what we're going to talk about on the podcast today. And just just uh, hold on a minute. I'm going to link it back into my nervous system story. So often, you know, it's really hard to talk about sensitive things like sex, periods, bodies, masturbation, penises, vulvas, relationships, because we weren't taught how to talk about sensitive things or maybe, you know, we don't even know what we think about these things and we've never actually had a conversation out loud before. And there's like this certain tension or uncomfortable feeling that really comes up when we say these words. Uh, so I invite you to actually say them out loud right now. So I want you to say sex, masturbation, penis, vulva. And we could pick so many other words. Uh, and I just want you to notice like how did it feel to actually say them out loud? Uh, did you feel any friction? Was there some sensations in the body that came up? Uh, was it hard to get the word out? So when we're confronted with having to talk about sensitive things, uh, like, you know, maybe what's going on in the world right now, we either have this capacity to do it and have the conversation or we shy away from it. So we really avoid it. And this is where the nervous system stuff comes back in. So our nervous system is either okay with this uncomfortable feeling uh, or having this uncomfortable conversation, or it isn't. And we find ourselves withdrawing as it doesn't really have the capacity. And so Sarah says in the podcast, you know, when we see someone who is able to have a conversation about hard topics, so a parent or a guardian that can enter into a conversation, you know, about a sensitive thing with their child, we're really seeing someone who can tolerate the tension of doing that thing, you know, that can tolerate the feeling of being uncomfortable, who feels safe enough on a nervous system level to do so. And so the first step in her work is really to educate adults uh, that they need to make sure that their nervous system feels safe first be before having hard conversations. And so she says that our nervous, if our nervous system doesn't feel safe, we will find it really hard to do hard things and we'll often move away from them which I think is, you know, so cool and powerful. And our worlds overlap really nicely. You know, a lot of the women that I work with, their nervous system doesn't feel safe. And, you know, if our nervous system doesn't feel safe, it makes, us, it, makes it hard for us to train. Uh, it also makes it really hard for us to be in relationship, uh, whether that's with our children, our friends, our partners, our family. Uh, so it's really cool, actually. It's a really cool piece when we talk about this in the podcast episode about the nervous system and the importance of having a strong nervous system so we can actually show up powerfully for uh, our young kids and have hard conversations or initiate these hard conversations. And there's one thing in the episode uh, that she says that brought me to tears. Uh, it's that, you know, it's an honor. It's an 
honor to be a parent or a guardian. It's an honor to have conversations with our children. And so therefore, it is our responsibility to make sure that our nervous system is safe and strong enough to do that. Okay. I know that was a really long intro. Uh, But I just, I really wanted to give you some context behind it. And I also really wanted to highlight the power of this conversation for me. Now, I don't have children. I have uh, five nieces and nephews. Uh, But, you know, for me and what I took out of it, it's not just conversations with our kids. It's conversations with ourselves and with our partners, you know, especially our intimate partners. Uh, You can get so much out of this. So if you are not a parent or a guardian, you know, I highly recommend that you you continue listening to this episode, the power of like communication and how we can start hard conversations is, you know, it's just, it's magical. And we're going to talk about magic today. Okay, Warrior Woman, enjoy this episode with Sarah, where we talk about periods and other sensitive things. Welcome to the Warrior School podcast the podcast for women who train. I believe lifting weights, knowing our cycles and training with them is the future of women's training. I also believe this training, nutrition and health stuff shouldn't feel so goddamn hard and we should all feel strong and confident. So this is your go-to show for practical information to build a stronger and healthier body. You'll find content on training, nutrition, hormones, and tons of experts who want to help you get stronger and healthier. I am your teacher, Amy Bow, coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. Okay, that's our cue. Sarah sitting in her car. (laughs) (laughs) Hey there, Amy. Hi, but this time uh, Sarah's on my podcast, which I'm so grateful to have her on. She normally does her podcast sitting in her car. So this is, I think, a special treat that I get you sitting in your car with your very cool pink. We call it a beanie, but here they call it a toque. There you go. Like so many different words for the same thing all over the world, which probably actually has some sort of connection to what we're going to talk about today anyway. But I just I just love that. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Too. I like that, too. Sarah, thank you for coming onto the podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you about um, periods and other sensitive things and how we can start these conversations with our young little humans. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a, it can be really exciting once you sort of crack the code of how to have conversations about things like that things that the body does related to you know having babies and having periods and um, sexual pleasurable feelings like once you crack the code for conversations like this um, 
I think in parenting, we never go back. It, it sort of opens up a vista of connection and possibility um, that just builds and builds as our kids get older because um, that skill is going to last us through up into our kids being adults, in fact. Yeah, and I would love to, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, the the work that you do now and then like how, like a bit of a roadmap of how you got there. You know, how did you get to this, this really cool work around having these conversations about really sensitive things and doing, you know, sitting in your car, your podcast and, and all the work that you do now? Mm. Do you know, I think it comes down to, it always come back to personal experience for me. Like I, I tell a story about when I was 11. Um, my, I was going through puberty at that stage. And I think, you know, I'd been given one book. Like I was raised by missionary parents. So the one book I got was by James Dodson called Preparing for Adolescence. There wasn't a single picture in there. It wasn't much to do with like your body's going to do these things. It was far more sort of about values. And um, that book did not help me when I was sort of lying in bed one night um, and realizing that, you know, on my chest, it looked like I was growing just one breast. And I was 11 and I'd never had a conversation with anyone about breasts growing, you know. And in my world, that I had the worldview that if something was wrong with my body, that meant I must have done something wrong, that I was bad in some way. And I still remember that evening um, praying to God that if he would only allow me to please just grow two breasts of roughly the same size. I promised I would always be good. Right. And I like every time I tell that story, Amy, I feel sad for 11 year old me, like the aloneness and the, the worry and the belief that I was in some way wrong or damaged. And um, it's that 11 year old that is in my mind constantly when I am teaching very practical strategies around having conversations about sensitive stuff because I do not want a, another 11-year-old, 7-year-old, 5-year-old to feel alone, uncomfortable, worried or anxious about their body or about their developing sexual self. And um, when I think about the privilege really of being able to guide families to avoid situation like what I had when I was 11 it just fills my heart with with great joy you know I can't help smiling because um who does not want to be on the earth doing something amazing that is going to change the lives of literally thousands of thousands of of kids it's it's just awesome it's great it it is so so great and when you tell that story you know I remember never having those conversations either growing up uh, with uh, my, you know, my parents or my mom. We just, we didn't talk about that stuff. And so, and, and this is what I find really fascinating. Like why, you know, why, mm-hmm. why do we not, why do we not talk about this stuff? Why, do, yeah, why don't parents, uh how, why, I guess my question is, why do they have trouble leading mm. in that space? Yes, uh, it, it's such a good question because um, our parents also probably had trouble doing this. Now, I know my, my mom was a nurse and she actually 
did say that when I was six, I was asking her questions about, you know, how babies are made and all those sort of things. And she breastfed um, my younger brother and sister. So I was raised in a family that someone was talking about sensitive things and, you know, talking about breasts. But I think the reason why most of us have difficulty from sort of starting conversations, particularly about kids aren't asking questions, is because when we were young, something will have happened um, in our family. And it is likely to be um, an adult who we loved and who loved us and we trusted very much reacted in a particular way to something we said or something we did. And we would have been super childlike and just really interested. I, I sort of talk about young kids, they have what's called the scientist their scientist hat on and their scientist mindset is like, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Why don't birds float, fall out of the sky when they're, you know, and like, and why have you got hair there and I don't have hair there? And look, why is my penis pointing up to the sky when I just, you know, got out of, out of bed? And so there will have been something that has happened to us when we were small and maybe quite innocent where we asked a question and the adults around us either froze or looked worried or looked anxious or told us we didn't need to know the answer to that question or may have actively said, that's a dirty question, don't ask, right? So there's a continuum of either someone just being a little bit awkward and not knowing or trying to buy themselves time right over to the, you know, some of us have been raised by adults who have significant traumas in their past. And that will mean that that has impacted their ability to talk openly. And so it's like this cycle this sort of uh, generational habit that without meaning to each generation passes on to the generation they are raising so you and I in our parenting we our ability to talk about sensitive things will be a product of what um, our parents were able to do and maybe also any traumas that they experienced and we will run on that script unless as you and I are doing now, we take out the programming that we've been given and we examine it and we sort of stamp our foot on the ground and we say, this far and no further, I refuse to allow this programming to influence my kids' experience of what sensitive conversations feel like or sound like or look like, and I'm going to do something different. And the, the change happens when we're willing to accept that uh, we need help to to reprogram ourselves. This is not something really that we can do on our own. We need a guide or we need a mentor or we need someone who has unpicked that programming um, and who can sort of guide, guide us along the path. Yeah. I, and I'd love for you to speak about like how you do that in, with, mm -hmm. um, with parents. How do you uh, start like start guiding them and I and I know this they're probably if I really like I'm visualizing this continuum and I know that we're probably all at a little bit of a different place depending on you know our, our background and how we were raised but uh how do you yeah how do you start guiding a parent to be able to uh have these conversations with their with their kids do you know most people will think when they ask a question like that, particularly if a parent is coming to me and say, look, I have an eight-year-old and I have a five-year-old and I want to know what should I be talking about? And um, most of the time the questions are about, well, what do we talk about that is age appropriate for the 
age my kid is. When the reality of it is that that is so far from the truth of where we start. Um, Where we really start is to look at, um, at what we believe will happen if we have conversations about sensitive things with with kids, right? So um, usually we need to unpick our belief structure. Um, Now, our belief structure will come from, like I said, our past. It will also come from the world in which we live just as an adult because um, usually we will be living in a community or raising our kids in a community where a vast number of other parents will not think it's age appropriate to talk to young children about things like periods or sperms and eggs or, um, you know, how, how babies are made, the three different ways babies are made. You know, we just don't talk about sperms and eggs getting together through intercourse. It's also IVF and artificial insemination, right? You can be having those conversations with kids younger than six. So I'm just going to put that out there in terms of the age appropriate sort of thing, right? So, we once we acknowledge that oh there are a lot of people in my com- parenting community that might think that if I have a conversation with a child I'm doing something that's not good for my kid either I maybe I'm sexualizing them or I'm giving them information that they're too young to understand or maybe I'll it'll make them afraid and and what if they tell someone else's kid that same information mm-hmm. right and so. We've got to sort of position ourselves and say, okay, like I understand that I'm not following the main parenting track when it comes to prioritizing a connection with our child or creating a habit in our family that we talk about sensitive things. And I think um, once someone who wants to work on these conversations, that could be a parent or some other caring adult like a guardian, um, once we're sort of standing on the path together and looking at what is possible because there are a lot of conversations that are possible. If we're looking at what's possible and they finally realize, okay, the choice really either is to prioritize how all the other parents feel in my community or I prioritize my kid and I prioritize my connection with them and I prioritize their ability to keep themselves safe with accurate information and an adult who has shown them over and over and over again that they are willing to talk about absolutely anything at all when it comes down to that it's a no-brainer really right and I think once we have that vision and we get clear on our what our values actually are and how those inform our parenting then the courage to um, to try and say a word like scrotum or penis or sh- show a child a tampon or whatever it is, the courage comes. Mm. It follows our values, right? And so, and then, you know, it's, it's all about the practicalities. And we can go into a little bit about the practicalities, but mainly they, the things are like, how do we start a conversation? What words do we use? How do we take care of ourselves when we're doing that? Um, and um, how can we give us a sense of surety that uh, what we're talking about is age appropriate? 
Yeah, when you speak about that, you know, I often talk about when it comes to, you know, our, tr- our training and our health, uh, you know, we're on, like, we have a mission, you know, we, we want to mm. feel a certain way, connect with our body a certain way, connect with others a certain way. And when you're speaking about that, it's looking at, you know, like, yeah, what, what's, what are my values? What does the relationship look like that I want to have with, you know, these young people in my lives, uh, in my life. And, you know, what's my mission there, uh, which Mm -hmm. I really like that as a starting point, choosing, like choosing that way. Um, And then, and then what's, what's the um, initiation of like these conversations look like? Uh, Actually, no, I did have a question when you were talking. Do you, do you normally let the child, like the child lead through the, through the questioning and that's how it starts? Or as a parent, do we, do we start bringing up things or asking questions ourselves? And my question to you would be like, do we wait for our child to ask us to serve them vegetables Or do we take the initiative because you know how important that is, right? Do we wait for our child to ask us to teach them how to cross the road safely? Or do we do, do we take the initiative and we do that from before they can even walk, we're getting them to push that button on the pedestrian crossing, right? Yeah. And conversations about um, sensitive things related to the fact that all humans have a sexual self, those conversations fall firmly into the camp of they are important and good for our kid to have with us and therefore as the adults we take initiative and the thing is if we decide that actually um you know we we've learned from the world around us and most people say oh you wait for a child to ask questions and most people do say that right um and it's wrong i'm yeah. just going to say it's flat out wrong so we'll just we'll just move that over to the side <laughs> I <If> love that. <laughs> well if we if we if we sort of acknowledge that that's outdated thinking, then it frees us up. Um, uh, there are some kids that will never ask questions. Like I have three kids, they're all now in their teens, but I remember when they were like six, four and two, my four-year-old, he was a question asking machine. He, from the moment he woke up until the night he went to bed, he asked questions. My two-year-old, he has never been like that. Never. And so it's, it's, um, it's like you would be gambling really on does your child ask questions or not if you leave that in in their court to initiate something so important and so central to safety and the connection that we have with our kids as we grow. So, yes. Yeah, I really, yeah, I really like that. And I, I, um, I can see the importance there of, you know, sometimes it can be a way to hide, I would, I would think mm-hmm. as a, as an adult of, you know, believing that, you know, I'm just going to wait till they ask me the question. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's a form, yeah, of like hiding in a way and, and getting out of maybe having an uncomfortable conversation, especially if we don't have the, the tools. And do you find like, what's the hardest part for adults when it comes to, um, leading young people in this space is it just they just don't have the language and the communication to start the conversation I think it's at an even more basic level than that Amy and it's about the way our nervous systems have been programmed um, to perceive conversations about sensitive things to be dangerous right so 
Um, most of us will be familiar with that sensation we get. Like, okay, let's just just imagine for a minute. I'm, I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah. I remember a story. I think my kids were eight. I had an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. And um, I realized that we hadn't yet had a conversation about online explicit naked people doing things to other naked people, you know, porn. And so I was thinking, okay, I need to have this conversation. Um, like this is my job now. Now it wasn't back then, but it, it was my job. It's my job now. And even then I remember this churning feeling in my stomach, right? And this sense of tightening in my throat and my heart rate increasing because I didn't have a role model of, I hadn't seen anyone do these conversations mm -hmm. before. I hadn't heard anyone. I didn't have um, my, in my mum group, I didn't have someone saying, oh, well, um, how are you going with the porn conversations? Uh, I've had three this week and oh, I'll just let you tell, uh, suggest something to you about it rather than using the word porn, use the word, you know. So I didn't have any of that. And so what my nervous system was doing was because it was unfamiliar, my nervous system was saying, this is dangerous don't do this. It's dangerous. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to damage your kid. It's going to be embarrassing. You're going to damage the connection they have with you. They're not going to want to talk to you because you're talking about weird things to do with nakedness and iPads, right? Um, and that, that sensation, getting over the bodily sensation of it just feels wrong to do this is the main sticking point. So I could teach, um, seven different sentence starters and um we could practice using the word porn 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 like if i could give you a prescription say the word porn in the mirror 20 times a day when you're brushing after you brush your teeth morning at night right and you would eventually get used to using the word but then you have to translate using that word with your seven-year-old or your eight-year-old and then it's like that whole parenting protection protecting your kids from dastardly things massively comes into play and that whole bodily sensation will come up again so it's far more about that education piece around okay well how do we take care of our nervous system because mm. our nervous system doesn't lie right if our nervous system says it thinks this conversation is dangerous it thinks it's dangerous we can't we we can't argue and say no it's fine it's fine we actually have to come in inside our nervous system and go okay how can I help you feel safe before I then go and have a conversation about porn? And I mean, my conversation about porn, that first one, I've had multiple ones, but um, I remember um, trying to have, trying to start this conversation and my 10 year old did not want to have anything to do with it. But my eight year old was there like, okay, okay, what's the deal? And I said, okay, well, what I want to do is talk to you about this thing called porn. And he said, prawns? Are we talking about prawns? Oh, and I'm there like rolling my eyes going, oh, this is so hard. And I could hear my 10-year-old outside the door laughing and sort of shuffling her feet. She didn't want to be in the room, but she was by no means wanted to miss out, you know. So it can be comedic, but we do have to be in a place where we're, we're able to care for ourselves so that we can show up and care for our child. And as I say that, I'm sure that sounds familiar because we have to do that in so many other areas of life, right? Yeah, I, it, it's so uh, it's really cool that you uh, said that because this week I've had many conversations with a lot of my women who are mums about 
you know, taking care of themselves and their nervous Mm. systems and their body has to feel safe. And, you know, Mm. I do it through like the nutrition and training in a way that really works with their bodies, but it, it did link back into their role as like a parent uh, and making sure that they were stable and had some stability in their nervous system so they could show up um, for for their yeah young person. So I really love that you say that. And I, I get it. I was picturing like even not even with our kids, but sometimes even with a partner, that visceral mm-hmm. feeling that you feel have before you're going to try and start a conversation. And then if you're not feeling safe and, you know, you're not sleeping or nourishing the body and the nervous system is already scattered, I can see how Mm. it would make starting and having these conversations just so much harder uh, to, Mm. to initiate. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the way your work and my work intersect on such a fundamental level. And I think Um, The more we all learn about the nervous system and its role in our sense of safety and our ability to take on new tasks and and work on challenges, um, I think the more we realize how integral it is to get clear on how do we take care of that most um, central part of ourselves so that we can progress and grow and challenge habits that don't work for us or or in in my case challenge habits that are going to make it difficult for our child to um, take care of themselves and advocate for their own needs and and find a way to be in um, conversation with other people who they may end up having intimate relationships with there is a lot on the line when you think about the nervous system yeah there, there really is and again you know we weren't really taught about that uh, growing mm. up. You know, there wasn't conversations really about like the, the, the nervous system and, and how to like regulate ourselves and understand how to nourish our body and make it feel safe. And I do a lot of work with my women around the language around that. And so they, they start to um, have conversations with their kids around, you know, we're, mm. we're doing these things because it makes our body feel like, really safe and yeah and so it's really cool to see when they start learning about the nervous system and how to regulate themselves and really nourish that nervous system Mm. that then they can open up these conversations with with their kids um as well yeah I I love that I love that so much yeah it's it's so important because you know, sometimes life is so squishy and stressful and then our bandwidth and our capacity is just, we just don't have it there. And so if our young person asks us a question, but our nervous system is just fried, we're just like, okay, like, you know, not now, or like we can't actually put the, we don't have the space or the capacity to, to really think about answering it and connecting with, with that, um, with that question and that human in front of us. Yeah. And, and I think that's where then we get onto the second stage. Like once we have awareness of how our nervous system impacts our ability to show up for this part of our parenting, the second stage then is these practical strategies. So, for example, you gave um, uh, a be- a per- the perfect word picture there of a child asking us a question and we're not, it's, it's completely out of the blue. We're not prepared for it. We've no idea what to say. We haven't been practicing the word penis, 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 penis in front of the mirror 20 times every day for the last two weeks. So it's all a little bit like, ah, I don't know what to do now. And so a strategy you can put in place there is to make it magical. Like the, the word magic I use a lot in my 
in my teaching because as soon as we sort of tap into this idea of so much about being human and the fact we have a sexual sexual parts of our body but also a sexual part of ourselves um it feels magical and wonderful so how can we use the word magic to um give us buy ourselves some time when our kids ask questions so it could be something like that something like this you're standing in the supermarket queue and um your kid says something like um you know why do you have hair in your on your vagina or whatever it is and um and you feel embarrassed because you're in public and you would probably even feel embarrassed if you were at home so you would say something like and you can use this script so take a piece of paper and a pencil you can say something like i love that question it's about something magical to do with our body and um when i get home i will think of the best answer and let you know then right and so you're essentially you're giving yourself time yeah you're like you can't see my face as i was answering that question but my eyes are wide like i've got a smile on my face i'm like oh my goodness this is so exciting my kid has asked me a question about something magical and inside i'm feeling a bit worried but this is great when our kid asks questions they're doing us a massive favor by helping us start right so we're thinking about it in that way we've reframed what's happening this is not a disaster this is or something awesome they are asking a question about something magical so that's really exciting it's along the lines of you know encanto or frozen yeah. too like where it's <laughs> family in the world of magical the magical realms and um we're grateful to our child because they have shown that's it's a sign of trust that they've asked us something so re- when we can reframe all those little judgments we might make about the incident that is happening in front of us it all of a sudden allows us this sense of joy and excitement it, and it open it can open up our face allow our child to see that there there is joy there in that question rather than maybe what might have happened before we prepared for it which is not at all think of magic not at all think about the fact that our kid is doing us a favor we might have judged it as something like our kids on purpose trying to make this shopping trip the worst it can be and not the not that we would think that on purpose but these are sort of thinking habits right and so when um when you have that we've done that little mental preparation just here on your podcast baby right so might people go back and they listen to that bit again and listen to the reframes and just listen to that maybe three or four times over and over again and um and that way it will be there in your mind the next time a really weird and awkward conversation comes up in a public place <laughs> yeah um the the body language like when you would when you were talking the the eyes and the face and like a child to like responds mm. to body language. So for mm. you to get excited, to be like, that's such a great question. Like you're inviting and opening up this, like, mm. oh yeah, like, you know, they really like that question or they got excited. Um, and I really, yeah, I love the body language piece of it. And I also mm. love the whole idea of like, just like the reframe, like reframing it um, and, and ch- like changing the language uh, that we use and also the practice, like I, re- like it's mm. practice. It's like training, you know, we need to, we need to practice these conversations. So you've mentioned a couple of times, Sarah, that saying the word in front of the mirror mm. or like having a, com- having a conversation in the mind, like practicing, mm. is that what, um, 
is that what you do get parents to do on a practical level? So um, the system I teach is called the Evolved Family Method. And I teach it over nine weeks exactly for that reason. Because um, all the negativity and the fear that we have lodged in our nervous system has been put there or our nervous system learned it because of other people. We were surrounded by people who had that fear and they passed on to us. So the way we dislodge that is to surround ourselves with people who don't have that. We're working and toward the same values, right? And so, so there is practice in a sense of um, allowing ourselves, be, putting ourselves in situations where we can hear people talk about this in a completely different way. So this podcast episode is a perfect example of that. As we have been going through this conversation for how many of minutes it's been, that has been a revolutionary probably 20, 25 minutes of hearing the sim- similar things being spoken about in a completely different way. And your brain is all of a sudden going, oh, it's different, it's different. And, and things are shifting and shifting, right? And so every time we put ourselves in a situation where this is spoken about with positivity and excitement and joy and gratitude for the honor we have yes. of changing the, the narrative and the patterns of generations past yeah. like every time we get together as a community or hear someone talk about it in that way where where little chinks in our in our armor are freeing up or little habits are freeing up and then every time you get to talk to someone in a safe space and it has to be a safe space otherwise we're just reinforcing those you know micro traumas around um when we were young and we tried to speak up and we were shut down or whatever. So every time we are able to say these words in a safe space, and that may just be in our bathroom on our own, or it may be with a trusted friend, or it may be with the parenting coach or whatever it is. Again, we are giving our nervous system a disconfirming experience. And what that means is our nervous system believes it's dangerous to say the word penis, but we have just said it 20 times in the mirror and nothing went wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a desensitization. Yeah. Yes. But it does have to be in a safe space. space and that's why, yes. um, you know, like, because if we do it, if we do it and we don't feel safe, then we're, our nervous system is just relearning that this does not feel safe. This does not feel, and so it, we're never, never going to get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really like that. Yeah. But again, not something that we think about, like the environment, the space that we're in, you know, is it, is it conducive and supportive? Is it safe for me to, to put in, to start practicing, um, to practice this stuff. The other day you did a, I loved your, uh, IG, IG, TV video on um, Valentine's Day and just walking into a supermarket or the shops and uh, asking the child, like, so what do you know about Valentine's Day as as an opener? And I would love to dive into talking a bit about like the body and periods and cycles. Uh, So as I was saying before we started to record, I work uh, most like all with women and a lot of them have uh, children. And so I'm super fascinated in how do we start talking about periods and cycles and our body and the changes that our body goes through. Uh, Yeah. Through puberty. I would love to dive into that. Mm. Yeah. And, and um, I love this question because so many of us, 
don't have the ability to, without shame or without sort of silence, manage our menstruating body. Um, I go into school sometimes and I teach menstrual education and puberty education to 11 and 12 year olds. And one of the main questions um, anyone who's going to get their period often asks me is, if I get my, my period at school, how do I go get my pad or my tampon or whatever from my bag to go to the toilet it's all about this fear and secrecy and like what if the package crackles what if all these sort of things and there is so many knock-on effects of not being taught that periods are something we can openly discuss in everyday life right um going from that what i described there about the worry about getting a period product to school to um you know, uh, being caught out when we're adults in our office, how comfortable do we feel asking a colleague or a co-worker, you know, if they have some, something we can borrow. Um, to to a, being a teenager and learning, well, how do we go through the supermarket checkout with a moon cup or, a, you know, reusable cloth pads or whatever it is? Like all those things are practical life skills that are going to be so much easier if they're shame-free. And so when we're thinking about um, having conversations about menstruation in our families, it actually starts off with it not being a conversation at all, but rather like how do we approach our own menstruating body if, if we have a body that menstruates? Like um, where do we store our period products? Are they something that... Um, are in view like is it something maybe do you keep a collection of tampons or pads or or the packaging of your moon cup do you keep them in a shelf is there a way you can display them um and and so it's sort of like sending a subtle signal to mm. any child you are raising that those things they're part of everyday life right um what do we do if we're menstruating and our two or three year old comes into the bathroom when we're changing whatever period management product we use right um, how do we feel about that? Um, and, and this is a big one. This is a big one because oftentimes parents will say to me, look, I'm worried because I'm worried my kid is going to be uh, afraid of the sight of blood. And again, it's, it's a PR exercise that we can do as parents. Like if we talk about it as if it's something to be scary, oh, yeah, don't worry about that. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Then we're sort of like uh, our kid is like, should I be worried here? Yeah, telling me not to worry what's going on. As opposed to if we say something like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. And again, you can't see, but I've got my excited, magical, frozen to Encanto magic face on. <laughs> um, I'm so excited you're here because um, I've got something magic to show you about my body, right? And, um, and you can use the language, the, the word magic around this, this is something very special. Um, I've got some magic blood. And they're like, magic blood? What do you mean magic blood? So, well, this, this is magic blood. It can help new babies grow. Most small people are super interested about yeah. how new babies grow, right? So as soon as you're saying there's magic and new babies are growing and it's blood, I accept that because that makes sense to me. You've told me it must be true, you know? So um, when you frame it like that and, and you can say, if you feel anxious or worried about it, you can say, you know, some people feel a little bit worried about magic blood if they haven't seen it before, you know, so you can highlight that. But again, you're saying magic blood and you're using your magic face. 
um, um, and I'm going to change whatever it is that I use to catch the magic blood because um, my body uh, makes fresh blood every few weeks. So I have to get rid of the old stuff. So I'm going to do that now. Um, now, if you feel relaxed enough to let your kid be there, then you're not doing anything wrong by them being there. It's actually a great gift. Um, but you need to feel confident. Again, it's the same thing. Like if you don't feel safe doing this, with what I'm describing here, then there are steps that we need to take to get to that point, right? So don't push yourself. Don't have that sort of feeling in your head of like, I have to do this for the sake of my kid. No, you don't have to do anything for the sake of a kid. Everything starts with your own safety and your own caring of you, right? Because when you can care for yourself and you can move yourself through your own menstrual stigma and shame and it's not your fault that you feel that we're a product of our environment once you give yourself that gift then you're perfectly set up to give the gift of shame-free conversations to your kid too yeah yeah so uh, what i'm hearing is it's it's gonna it's coming back to this nervous system piece like what's the state Mm -hmm. of the nervous system do i feel safe Mm -hmm. right now and also have i have I done a bit of work on like my, my views and my belief systems and the language that I use inside my mind about this stuff? Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, when we're in the work of that, it just opens up some more opportunities and we have a bit more capacity to be like, okay, I've got a handle of my nervous system. I feel pretty good right now. And I've also done a bit of work around my beliefs and, and thought about how I could reframe it. And now I can open up the conversation with, with, with my young person about, yeah, whatever they're seeing or, or whatever they're asking. Yes, that's exactly right. And I suppose, see, I'm an occupational therapist. And so that uh, sort of underlies all the work that I do. Um, and occupational therapists about how can we make a task easy, as easy as possible for a person. So let's just say that conversation that I outlined there when you're menstruating and you're about to go to the toilet. Maybe that just feels completely out of reach. But could a conversation about what a tampon does when you're not talking about blood or where it goes or anything, maybe you could do a science experiment in the kitchen one day, say, oh, look, I just bought these things. Like I bought bananas, I bought apples, I bought celery, and I bought this box. Have you ever seen these before? And our kid will probably say no. And I'll, and we can say, well, look what happens if you take one of these things and you dip it in a glass of water. And if you have not done that at home, it's well worth doing. We do it um, in classrooms sometimes for puberty end, and it's lots of shrieks of laughter and, oh, this is so funny. And, you know, you can take apart a pad and look at all the things that are inside it, the cotton wool and those special little um, like little gel packet things that absorb liquid. So turn it into a science experiment, just like you would if your child brought home um, a pocket full of leaves and you were looking at all the different colors or whatever. You can say, I've just found something that absorbs a lot of liquid. Let's see how it goes underneath the tap. And maybe that feels like an entry level activity that you could do with a child. Um, and you would feel safe enough to do that. And again, maybe you don't. So then we'd look for something else. Maybe it's reading a book about um, periods. Like there's this fab book, um, Vaginas and Periods 101. It's a pop-up book. It has a pop-up vulva in it. It has a tampon with a string. Like it's a touchy sort of feely book in it. It talks about, you know, eggs leaving ovaries to go down into the uterus and describes menstruation. 
And you can only get it, I think, on Indiegogo at the moment. So, but I, it's well worth it because it's designed for kids like three, three to four. And, and it just makes it easier for us, those of us who still have a bit of stigma around that stuff, mm. just to be guided by the book. And um, it shows the different colours of, um, of different sorts of menstrual blood because, you know, sometimes it's brown, sometimes it's pink, sometimes it's red, sometimes it's like black, you know, all these, all these different things. And so it just gives us a chance to um, be guided by a book um, that has very simple language. And it may be that that is your entry-level point. So if you're not able to find an entry-level conversation about periods, it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It just means you haven't found the entry-level thing yet. And that's okay. And it's a matter of continuing your search and being kind to yourself as you do it. Yeah, and I think this is where it can be really cool and helpful to like have a guide and to have guides Mm -hmm. because when you're talking about this, like just even the example with, you know, the apples and the oranges and the bananas and then the tampons and being like, have you seen these before? Like we may not even just think about that, like that Mm -hmm. that is an opportunity right there in itself to be like, okay, this could be a a way that I can connect and bring up a a conversation about a sensitive thing. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, for maybe even for some of us, it's just that we just don't have the awareness there. We like, we don't know, we can't jump on those opportunities because we just don't see them. You know, it's just a box of tampons that we're just going to chuck in the cupboard um, and then put the apples and the oranges away. And like, that's it. But if we can have this guide that can help us see these things, um, I think that's magical. (laughs) Mm, Yes. When you put it like that, it really is. And I suppose I live in that world every day. So I'm seeing those, but um, it, I I get, Amy, you've sort of opened my eyes to this idea that there's almost a level of awareness building that needs to come into play because most of us will have the habit of sort of without on purpose, not on purpose, just sort of um, dampening down any opportunity for for these conversations to rise naturally because again we're trying to keep ourselves safe and we're trying to keep our kids safe um um so yeah it's it's a little switcheroo into thinking about oh okay the next time i'm at the supermarket if i if it feels safe to do so what if you know if i'm help if my kid's helping me uh let's look for the bananas let's look for the yogurt oh, now we've got to look for these special things called tampons and they're in a green box. Or if you use some other sort of reusable, whatever, you know. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's about creating the habit of doing something different, just like we create the habit of maybe eating less processed food or um, less sugar or whatever it is. This is another habit that we can, can cultivate that is going to make a difference, not just for our own health, and our own um, and sort of banishing our own feelings of stigma and sort of embarrassment but also uh, preventing those emotions from taking hold in our kids in the first place and that is just uh, for most parents who are raising kids one of the great sort of goals of our parenting life to be able to do that. Yeah. Sarah, before we dive into uh, you telling everyone about like your courses and your work, I I really just want to highlight one thing that you said that like, it's an honor 
it's an honor mm. to have these conversations, you know, with our, with our young people. And I even just get tears in my eyes because it, mm. like it is. It's like this epic, cool honor, one that we're like in a body, in like the coolest mm. thing, the coolest vessel. And then two, we've birthed these little humans into the world. Like it's an honor to teach them about this stuff. It's so cool. Mm. Um, and I think we mm. need to remember that, that yeah. like it's, it's just this such privilege and you should feel honor that your child is curious or you get to have these conversations. Um, and so I just, mm. I love it. Oh. Yes, I love it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd love for you to tell, yeah, tell people about like your work, your courses, um, your podcast. Yes. Well, um, I have a podcast called Sitting in the Car sitting in a car and the idea of that is to do a little bit of what I've been describing like join a group of people who every week for about 15 minutes um, get on their phone press play and listen to an answer to a practical parenting question related to sensitive things and raising kids so it can be anything from I've, I've had one recently about um, a, a five-year-old who likes to wear his cousin's lycra ballet dress and how do we talk about gender? Um, another one where um, a child is nine, they have never asked a question about anything and this parent is starting to realise that they need to have a conversation about puberty because they remember very clearly being surprised by their period, you know, some really practical things. Um, so sitting in a car, you can find it on Instagram. I publish it. Uh, every week it's also on apple and spotify and all the places you would find your normal um podcasts um otherwise uh there's i'm running various little courses but the main offering that really i believe is the best way for a parent to go from feeling unsure and maybe a little bit awkward about talking about any sort of conversation about sensitive things at all uh to the point where they feel they have the skills and abilities and in fact welcome the honour of talking to kids about every single sensitive thing, that would be the Evolve School. And that runs twice a year. And um, again, it's an experience where we're really immersing ourselves in what it feels like to completely reprogram our minds around sensitive things um, for the benefit of our child. But actually what most people tell me when they go through that program is it fundamentally shifts the way they feel about relationships and the way they feel about themselves because i mean sexuality we we don't work on that in isolation um it it affects so much about who we are and how we show up in the world so um uh that's uh, i don't know if you can tell from my voice but i feel very proud of that program and it really stems like i said right back at the beginning from that 11-year-old Sarah who thought she was only growing one breast and was so anxious and afraid and worried and felt like if she was only going to live with one breast, nobody would ever love her, you know? So it's like um, all the skills that I wish the adults who loved and cared for me and my parents loved and cared for me so much. Um, if they had had the skills that the Evolve School teaches, then, um, you know, life would be different <laughs> so different to say the least and I think yeah. um as as a final point is that this is not about in any way bashing 
the adults who cared and loved us and did the best they could for us. That is not what this is about. It's about acknowledging with deep gratitude and compassion that they really did the absolute best they could yeah. and, um, and with what they knew at that time and that they were dealing with their own stuff. And, in fact, when they were growing up, the world was not a consensual place, right? And so there were all these patterns around um, sexuality and consent that they had no control over and so um, influenced how they could show up for us. So with that love and compassion and sort of sense of gratitude for the best they could do, we then turn and look at what we have capacity to change in our life now. And um, the Evolve School is designed to be a partner um, to your own courage as a parent, that with your courage and the practical sort of strategies inside the school, it gives you everything you need to start moving forward. And and that moving forward, it might not look like what you think it looks like, you know, because um, kids, once they realise that you are able to talk about small things, they will take that ball and they will run with it. And, and it can be so exciting. To see a child whose eyes are full of wonder and they ask you question after question after question and you notice inside yourself that you are here for it. You are present and interested and engaged and um, just see every time that they turn to you with another question or a statement that it is a credit to the work um, that you've put in and the values that you've centred in your in your parenting. And it does not get any better than that yeah it's pure magic it's just yes <laughs> it's just, I love like that word today that it's mm. it's magic and you're magical like that just hearing mm. you talk and and watching your work it's just it's just magic but this magic that is it's so real and so tangible like we can we can do this magic uh and yeah, I'm just, I'm so, I'm so grateful for your time today. I'm, I'm so grateful for you and the work that you do. The work that you do is just so important. Um, and so thank you. Thank you for, thank you for being here in this, in this mm. world and doing the work that you do, Sarah. Amy, it is an honor to have been asked on your podcast. And um, I guess as a reminder to point out the intersection between my world and your world and how key um, the the skills are that you're teaching around the, the nervous system because if people are in your world and doing that work already this part of what I'm talking about they the cake is already made essentially we're just talking about the icing that goes on the top when it comes to sensitive things so thank you for um, the support that you give uh, people who a lot of them are responsible for raising small children and um, the knock-on effect is massive. So gratitude to you for um, the invitation to come into your space. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was a pleasure. Take care now. Warrior Woman, you can listen to these episodes wherever you listen to your podcast. Please give it love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another warrior woman. Also, tag me in it on Instagram with your biggest takeaways.